Well, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's hard to follow that much cuteness, isn't it? But I'll, I've got to, so you bear with me. You got your Bibles today. I hope you'll open up with me to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. And we'll be there in just a few minutes reading through uh, most of that passage. Uh, Judges chapter 7. Ted and Rose McFarland uh, had both been reared in nominally Christian homes. Uh, Since they both attended Sunday school in their childhood, they felt that their son Robbie should as well. Uh, So one Sunday they tidied him up and they sent him off to Sunday school with some neighbors. And so they waited. When he got home, they asked him about his uh, trip to Sunday school and and asked him how he liked Sunday school. And little Robbie said, "Okay, I guess. And the mother coaxed him, you know, what did the teacher uh, teach you today? What did they teach you at Sunday school? And Robbie said, well, there was this Israeli general and some of his his, uh, men were trapped behind enemy lines and the Egyptian army was closing in on them. And it'd only be a matter of time before they would be wiped out. But the general got there first and had engineers build a pontoon bridge across the water. Then the soldiers crossed safely. A plane radioed that the Egyptians were only a few miles away. The general waited until they were crossing the bridge and then signaled for the jets to attack them. They blew up the bridge with rockets and the general became some kind of hero. Well, Robbie's parents kind of looked at each other in bewilderment. And finally, Ted asked him, and what was the name of that general? Robbie said, Moses. And the father said, are you sure that's what the, the Sunday school teacher, how they told you that story? Are you sure that's the way it was? Well, not exactly, admitted Robbie, but the way she told it, you wouldn't believe it. As I read that and I thought about Robbie, I wonder what he would say about our passage today, about Gideon and his 300 men. How would he retell that? If you were brought up in Sunday school, if you were raised in church, this is a story that you probably remember. It's one of those classic stories. It's where we drew our sermon series title from Trumpets and Empty Pictures. And this story is incredible, no matter how you look at it. It's awesome when you consider Gideon and these men going against this huge army and the way that God worked in an awesome way. So what I want to do today in our few minutes together, I want us to read the story again. I want to come back and look at it as a whole real quickly. And then I want us to learn some things about ourselves from this passage That may be quite surprising to you. So you've got your Bibles there, Judges chapter 7. I'll begin reading at verse 1 as we continue looking at uh, the life of Gideon. Judges chapter 7, begin reading at verse number 1. Then Jerobel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the wall of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was of the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many. For me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from the Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, 
you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley, and it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I delivered it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp of Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites, the Amalekites, all the people of the east, they were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Verse 14, then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. And to his hand, God has delivered Midian in the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hands. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Verse 19, So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing, and they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon! And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the three hundred blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Bethakeah towards Zerath, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah by Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. Let's ask God's help. Father, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for your working. Work in our hearts now, I pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine, if you will, facing an army... Of 135,000 with only 32,000. We know that's how many the enemies had. If you go to chapter 8, verse 10, it talks about the 15,000 and the 120,000. 135,000 troops. And Gideon had 32,000 with him. The odds at this point are about 4 to 1. And then in verse number 2, the Bible says the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many. Now, don't you imagine maybe Gideon had to pause for a moment and say, maybe even think in his own heart, Lord, did I hear you correctly? You said the people with me are too many instead of too few. And God says, I want you to pare the army down. 
And I want you to take all those and tell them if they're afraid, they can go home. And 22,000 fearful men returned home. Imagine how that would do for morale and your encouragement when you say, okay, all of you who are afraid, you may go. And 22,000 turn and head home. And now he's left with 10,000 men. 10,000 to take on 135,000. The odds at this point are not quite 14 to 1. But God says, no, that's still too many. (laughs) That's still too many. The Lord says, I'm going to give another test. I want you to take it down to the water and those who drink in a certain way. We're going to keep those. Those who drink in another way, we're going to let them go. And we know, of course, it comes down to where Gideon is left with only 300 men. You know what the odds are now? 450 to 1. 300 men to take on 135,000. I don't care who you are. I don't care how tough you are. I don't care how rugged and manly you are. Those are impossible odds, humanly speaking. 300 men to take on an army of 135,000. And it says, of course, what? Their camels were without number. Now think about that for a moment. But this passage, beloved, is not about human strength. It's not about human ingenuity. It's not about human effort. This passage, Judges chapter 7, is about Gideon's great God. It's about our God. When you read this story, you're reminded of that old song, an old phrase, little as much when God is in it. Little as much when God is in it. And after encountering and encouraging Gideon, God gives the victory not with spears and swords, He gives the victory with trumpets, that is ram's horns, pitchers that held the torch to keep the light as they were traveling on. They broke those pitchers. They have the torches and they have their voices where they cry out the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. There'd be no doubt whatsoever who gave the victory, who got the glory here. It was God and God alone. And this story is an awesome story. And as I studied this passage and as I looked at it and I rehearsed it and I remembered it from growing up and I looked at it afresh and anew, some things began to grab my attention. And I began to see myself, I began to see us in so many ways in this passage. I want to give you three in particular this morning. Number one, like the Israelites, our vision is often warped. Like the Israelites, our vision is often warped. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, why did the Lord shrink the army down to such impossible odds? Look at verse 2 again. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites to their hands. Now notice the next part. Here's why. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God was concerned here that all the glory and all the honor would go to him. Where it rightly belongs. And that's still the case today. Listen, we can be too big for God to use us. But we can never be too small. 32,000 would have come out victorious. If they had come out victorious against these 135,000, the odds of 4 to 1. Don't you imagine there would be great celebrations saying, man, look at what we did. Look at our might. Look how tough we are. God says there's too many. I want you to pare them down. 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. Listen, we too are too easily impressed by the big and showy. We're impressed with big crowds and big numbers and big budgets and big buildings. We think the bigger the better. But listen, God is not impressed with our bigness. 
God doesn't want us walking around in a self-confident manner. He wants us walking around in a God-confident manner. Trusting in Him, leaning on Him, looking to Him. We're too easily impressed with the big and showy. We're too easily impressed with ourselves. Listen, depending on ourselves is failure, even if we succeed. Let me say that again. Depending upon ourselves is failure, even if we succeed. Let's say the 32,000 win and they defeated the 135,000 here. They would have still failed in a sense if they had gone on leaning on their own strength, their own might, their own power. Their strength had to be in God and not themselves. We're studying John chapter 15 right now, Wednesday nights. In John chapter 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do, do you remember it? Nothing. Without me you can do nothing. We need to remember that, beloved. We think we're so mighty, so smart, so wonderful. God is so fortunate to have us. We forget that we're desperately needy people. We need God every hour, every second, every day. Our vision is warped. We don't need more self-confidence. We need more God-confidence. Looking to God. Gary Enrich, on his excellent book on Judges, tells about a man by the name of a Frenchman named Emile Coup. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And Emile Coup claimed to have discovered and developed an almost infallible method of healing people. Basically, here's what his method was. When you were sick, if you kept insisting to yourself that you were really getting better... You could quite literally talk yourself out of your illness. And Emil Q, he gave this little phrase and people were supposed to repeat this little phrase 20 times in a row on two occasions daily. Here's what the phrase was. Every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. Every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. Every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. Sounds like a Joel Osteen message, doesn't it? Every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. And Koo claimed to have seen people cured of heart trouble and ulcers and bronchitis and club feet and bad nerves. A multitude of problems by using this method. Every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. Well, this, this intrigued me. I looked this guy up. Found him on Wikipedia. Guess what? Emil Koo died in 1926. I guess his formula didn't work. <coughs> There came a day when he didn't get better and better. He died. Our vision is warped. We look at ourselves and think, oh, we're mighty, we're powerful, we're strong. Rather than looking at our great God. We forget that it's in Him that we move and live and have our being. We forget the battle is the Lord's. God's concern was that the Israelites would take the glory. The glory belongs to Him alone. And it's still the case today. Now I ask you, how are we carrying our work here? How are we doing the work of Red Hill Baptist Church? How are we laboring in our own families, in our own lives? Are we going forth in our strength, our might, our power, our ingenuity, our wisdom, our strength? Are we going forth in God's power and might? God's strength? God's grace? God's wisdom? You see, like the Israelites, our vision is often warped. But secondly, like Gideon, our faith is often weak. Like Gideon, our faith is often weak. Verses 9 through 15, it says the very same night he shrunk the army down. God says, go against this army. He says, if you're afraid, take your servant 
Pura, go down and I'll encourage you. And he hears the story between these these uh, Midianites who talk about this dream, this vision, and he's encouraged. It says there in the chapter that he worshipped. Now, we can understand why Gideon was afraid, can't we? Imagine taking on 135,000 men with 300 men. Odds of 450 to 1. Now, Gideon knew God, but his faith was weak. He had God's promise. He had God's word. He had God's will. But he was faltering in his faith. And I looked at that and thought, how often are we just like Gideon? God says, go, and we tremble to take the first step. God tells us to do something, and we halter, and we, we falter, and we begin to, to doubt. But God is gracious, and God is merciful, and God is kind to Gideon here, and he's kind to us. And the Lord gently leads and strengthens Gideon. And I wonder about your faith today, friend. Do you have strong faith or weak faith? First of all, have you experienced saving faith? Do you realize the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? There's none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You need Christ as your Savior. If you're here today, no matter where you came from, what you've done, listen, you need Christ. And I invite you to come and repent of your sin. Turn from your sin to Christ today and receive him as your Lord and Savior. If that's settled, how about your sustaining grace and your serving faith, your serving and sustaining faith? Are you growing in your faith is what I'm asking you today. Are you growing in your faith? That sustaining faith and that serving faith. J.D. Stripe said this about faith. He said faith is like a toothbrush. He said everyone should have one and use it regularly, but it isn't safe to use somebody else's. Think about that for a moment. We don't go on somebody else's faith. We have to go and step out the faith that God works in our lives. Whereas we said we might sing the faith of our fathers, but we can't exercise the faith of our fathers. We have to exercise our faith. And it's time for us, the people of God, who know God, children of God, to step out in obedience and faith, trusting God to work in and through our lives. Gideon was helped by God. He was encouraged by God. Gideon worshipped the Lord, it says there. But then he got up and he did what God told him to do. Not trusting in himself, but trusting in his God. Look at verse 15. Gideon heard the telling of the dream. He went back to the camp and it says in that part, he says to the troops, there arise for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. The Lord has done this. He's trusting in God. Now, what about us? We're here today worshiping the Lord. We're praising him. We're praying. We're singing. We're hearing his word proclaimed. We're lifting our hearts in praise. We hear God's word. We hear God's will. Now, here's the question. What do we do with it? Do we step out in faith and obedience and live out these things in our lives? You see, like the Israelites, our vision is often warped. We're impressed with big and showy things in ourselves. Like Gideon, our faith is often weak and we begin to falter and we begin to halt and we begin to tremble. But I thank God we don't stop there. There's a third thing I want you to see here. and That's this. Like them. Like them, our God is always wonderful. Our God is always wonderful. Dr. Bob Cook said, if you can explain what's going on in your ministry, then God didn't do it. I want you to think about that. You can explain what's going on in your ministry, then God didn't do it. 
Explain to me, beloved, how an army of 300 men could go out in the middle of the night and defeat an army of 135,000. It appears they didn't even have swords. Just their voice, just that ram's horn, that trumpet, just the pitcher, just the torch. And they followed God's will here. And it was enough. Why? Because God is enough. Our wonderful God is enough. The sword of the Lord of Gideon. We don't even know if Gideon had a sword. We don't even know. But we know this. Gideon had God, or I should say God had Gideon. Listen. If God be for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Our God is always wonderful, always great, always gracious, always awesome, always powerful. He can say with a lot, he can say with a few, he can say with none. He spoke the world into existence. Listen, love, it's high time. We get so, so in a rut. So casual. We come to God's house and we forget we're here worshiping the mighty, awesome God of the universe. And if you're a Christian, you're worshiping your father today. The glory in this passage doesn't go to Gideon or his 300 men or the trumpets or the pitchers or the ram's horn or their voices or the cry of the men. The glory and the honor goes to God and God alone. Gideon and his 300 men depended upon God. And beloved, we have to do the same today. We have to obey him, depend upon him and glorify him. Listen, our faith today does not rest in our abilities or our talents or our numbers or our resources or our wisdom or smarts. Our faith today rests in our wonderful God. You see, the cure for our warped vision and our weak faith is a fresh, clear view of our wonderful God. Listen, if your view is wrong today, I want you to take a fresh view at your wonderful God. If your faith is weak today, I want you to take a fresh view at your wonderful God. And focus on Him. To God alone be the praise and glory. You know, our world just watched with amazement and wonder the recent royal wedding. And I know some of you, you love that. I mean, you just state that others, others of you, you loathe that. You were so sick of hearing about the royal wedding, you didn't know what to do. But, but it was an amazing event, say the least. And then attendance at the royal wedding, of course, was Queen Elizabeth II. And did you know at the final dress rehearsal for Queen Elizabeth's coronation in 1953, if I remember correctly, it was the first one to be televised. Perhaps someone even here may have watched it. But in 1953, uh, everyone was very tense, as you can imagine. For many of the people involved in that coronation, the, the next day would be the most important day in their lives. And during the rehearsal, the time of working through the ceremony in Westminster Abbey, uh, up to the place where the queen would enter, they were going through and practicing this thing. The orchestra had just finished and the archbishop is dressed there in all of his robes standing at the altar. All the officers of state are standing at attention. There was a spine tingling fanfare of trumpets to signal the queen's imminent entrance. And just at that moment, four cleaning ladies came out pushing a carpet sweeper. There they were cleaning up any dust and feathers that had gathered around the throne and the gold carpet. And the author who I was reading, telling about this, said the whole abbey rocked with laughter at the time. Can you imagine? The trumpets are blaring. It's time for the queen. And these four cleaning ladies come out with their carpet sweepers. 
He said, obviously, those servant girls had a job to do and it had its importance. It was an important job, but they hardly deserved a fanfare of trumpets with everyone standing at attention. Why? That honor belonged to the queen. Now, listen. He says, this is exactly what God's trying to teach his people in Judges 7. We, ladies and gentlemen, we have a job to do and a life to live. But all the honor and glory belongs to our king. The king of kings and Lord of lords. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what about you today, friend? Be honest with yourself today. How is your faith? Is it strong? Is it weak? Is it faltering? What's your vision like today? Are you so enraptured and captured by the big and showy and worldly? Or is your vision clearly set upon your glorious God? I wonder on this Sunday morning as we close this service, what is God the Holy Spirit saying to you? Maybe for some today, he's saying, I want you to be saved. I want you to come to Jesus Christ. For others, maybe he's saying, I want you to step out in obedience and do what I told you to do. For others, he's maybe saying to you today, I want you to get a fresh view of me. I want you to see me as Isaiah did in chapter 6. High and lifted up. His glory filled the place. And the seraphim cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What is he saying to you today? All the honor, all the glory, all the praise belongs to Jesus Christ alone. May we give it to him. May we rest in him, depend on him and obey him. Just as Gideon and his 300 mighty men of faith. Let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you and thank you today for your word. We thank you for Gideon and Lord, his faith, though oftentimes weak, he obeyed you and stepped out in your power and you gave the victory. Father, we admit again this morning, we are a weak and needy people. Red Hill Baptist Church is desperate for you, Father. Without you, we can do nothing. Without you, we labor in vain. Without you, we're just going through emotion. Father, we want desperately your power. You're working in our midst. And Lord, we want desperately to see you honored and glorified in everything that's done here. Father, help us never to be like those cleaning ladies coming out and all of a sudden trying to steal the glory. But help us, Lord, to always point and say, all glory, praise and honor belongs to our King, our Father, the Lord. Lord, I pray your blessings and your help now in this invitation. I pray your Holy Spirit to touch lives. Do that that I cannot do. I proclaim your truth, Father. I pray your spirit to take it and apply it to each heart and life. I pray if someone's here today and does not know Christ, I pray today they'll come to know him. I pray for others they'll get things settled today. We pray your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is 340, He Hideth My Soul. I would encourage you to stand and join us as we sing. And know the altar is open. If you need to be saved today, if you need to come to Christ today, we would invite you to come. Let's stand and sing 340, He Hideth My Soul. Let's stand and sing.